Welcome. This is One Hour of Sunshine. I am your host, Megan Joy Haverda. You can find all 16 episodes on YouTube, iTunes, or on my website, MeganHaverda.com. We are filming this show out of the Sandbox in Santa Barbara, California, a co-working hub for entrepreneurs and change makers. This show is for business leaders that are willing to openly admit that they use their intuition to make business decisions and to navigate their lives. This show will elevate and normalize intuitive skills in the workplace and allow such skills to be seen as great assets to companies, organizations, communities, and families. Imagine someday LinkedIn will list intuition as a skill. And won't that be grand for all of us? Today our guest is Lorianne David, founder of Aurora Farms, pilot, farmer, mama, creatrix extraordinaire. We will be chatting with her in one minute after I share the intuition of the day. Sometimes the intuition of the day comes in meditation or through a dream. But the one that really sticks out for me when I think of Lorianne David, who has been my friend for almost 20 years, is the saying from 1939, World War II, keep calm and carry on. Um, I actually have this little emblem out on my porch, my patio, and you know it's become this little kitsch item and people have made t-shirts out of it and little things to talk about fortitude and pressing on. And you know, for women like Lorianne David, and myself and many other women that we hang out with, it takes a lot to carry on and be ourselves and become ourselves. There's a becomingness that's daily. It's not, you know, we didn't just pop out and it was, we were fully baked. We had to bake ourselves and, and put the frosting on and then take the frosting off and then make it, you know, a sweet and sour. And then it was like the salt and the pepper. And, you know, it is a constant, constant, um, project to listen to our inner guidance and really become what we are, be fully expressed and bring the value that we were born to bring to our communities and our economies. So, you know, for everybody in the audience that wonders, how do I get through stuckness? How do I get through jaded feelings? How do I overcome my fears? You know, I think that Lorianne and I could agree that you just take action, just one act at a time, just one breath at a time, one one little self-hug, self-acknowledgement at a time, and surround yourself with amazing people that are strong and love you and can see you and can cheer you on. So it is my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Lorianne David. Um, she and I met, I mean, we met, we met, but when we really met, we were actually in a security line in Guatemala in this teeny tiny airport, and we had very little luggage. It was a rugged trip to a binational peace park that she and I are both involved in, and I'm actually still a board member of El Pilar, amazing binational peace park in Belize in Guatemala, and she, <laughs> I was probably... I don't know, 27 or something. And she was in the security line. We were on this trip together. And she kind of slammed her bag down. And she looked at me and she said, we're going to be friends someday. And I was like, what the, who the, oh, I want to be your friend. You know, and I kind of looked at her like, who is this rugged, ragged, beautiful, 
sexy, crazy, awesome woman. Um, and it's how we met. And it really came from, I think, each of us observing one another and seeing who we would become and seeing in that future space of becomingness um, a very, very deep friendship, which is alive and well today. I love you. Welcome. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you're speaking to us from Aurora Farms, Friday Harbor, San Juan Island. Very few clean, quiet zones, yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's not in the barn. This is her clean space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dirty or> noisy. <laughs> well, and so you've had a very interesting life. You you came from a family of four. You were the eldest daughter. You almost went to the Olympics as an athlete. Um, but I want to skip ahead to the present moment. We can go back. We can go back during our time in the interview. But let's just get present with where you are right now. You're on this extraordinary farm. Tell us how you chose, out of all the places in the world where you could think about farming and sustainability and legacy, why did you choose this spot? Mm. Well, in each moment, we are all everything we've ever seen and done, right? So we don't really have to talk about history. <laughs> if you spend any time with me, you would know that I am everything that I've ever been or probably want to become. So um, I started farming in the San Juan Islands, actually on Lopez Island in the late 70s after college and farmed there for almost 10 years before I moved um, down to Southern, back to Southern California to start a big design build construction company and organic citrus orchard and farm as well. And um, it was an interesting choice. You know, there was a catastrophic event, the Hesiosita fire of 2009, that wiped out my life completely, yeah. home, orchards, gardens, business. Yeah. And I had a lot of choice, and I traveled a lot and taught a lot and explored farms all over the United States and Europe and thought about a lot of things. And through a series of magical events, I ended up here creating another new farm. Yeah. And what, what was some of your, you know, we, we talk a lot about climate change, we talk about economy, we talk about social um, justices and injustices on this show. What was some of your criteria for choosing this place, this spot, this island? I had tracked it for the past 40 years since I left. Um, the climate has changed an enormous amount. For yeah. me, it was very obvious how much less rain we get, how much warmer it's gotten how you couldn't grow any Mediterranean plants here at all, and it was rare that you'd have an 80 degree day ever. It always rained during haying season in the summer. And because my sister still lived up on Lopez Island until they moved to Hawaii last year, I came every year, brought my kids, yeah. introduced them to this area. Clean air, clear water, yeah. mountains, green trees, rain, moisture, incredible community, self-reliant community. Yeah. On island on the edge of America, there was a lot really going on. Everyone's very invested in what goes on from the sheriff to the town council, and everyone's involved. And we're served by a ferry, so you get here by a boat or an airplane, and when you need something, you have each other, and yeah. it's real community. Those yeah. were the criteria. Well, you know, 
it's a little out of order, but we did a show just an hour ago with somebody that is at the UN um, climate change conference in Poland. And he's actually Indian, but he was schooled in London. He got a PhD, I think, at the London School of Economics. So he's living in London, but his homeland is in India. And he's a landholder, and he's doing enormous work with micro-organic farms, not only in India, but also in Africa. And I thought a lot about you, actually, during that interview, because if we... If we lose, if human beings lose connection with soil and animals and where food comes from and plants and trees and cycles, we're done, you know, and we were, we are thinking about climate change. Well, we're at the breaking point. You know, there, there really is a time frame where we have to pull it together and stop emitting so much pollution and really focus on our microclimates and really be resilient and self-sustaining and neighborly. And, it, you know, it's one of the reasons I so respect what you've created up there because San Juan Island is a small island, but wow, incredible people that have real skills. You know, I said the other day to my child's father, I want I want tail. I want our child to have real skills, like manual labor skills, <laughs> because that's that's what we can rely on. We don't know if the internet will work. We don't know if the coal plants will keep pumping. We don't. So, I am extremely interested to know at what point in your life, and maybe it was since birth. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones. But at what point in your life did you really discern between the chatter of your ego and your intuition? I know you've cultivated your intuition for many, many decades. But what was the point as a girl when you really saw the difference between the two and could know who you were listening to? <laughs> Growing up in a hardcore Sicilian mafioso Catholic family, it was really easy. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> living in nature I mean mm -hmm. we I grew up in the house my American grandfather built um, my father was an only child and that whole side of my family was all about hunting and fishing and nature and ornithology and and all of that and my mother's side of the family was all about the Renaissance arts shoemakers and seamstresses and tailors and barbers and craftsmen I mean we couldn't buy anything because you had to go wait for you know you know, Kunjatina to make it, or for Paolo to have time to fix it, or, and it was fabulous. But I grew up in a very rural, very rural area like the San Juan Islands, yeah. where your neighbor's a plumber and somebody knows electrician, and yeah. everybody has lots and lots of skills. So yeah. it was really obvious to me that I could wait for people to do things for me, or I could engage with them and learn and help them, and they could help me, and I could just continue to learn. I think learning is one of those things I got I got it very early on yeah. that the more you learn the longer you learn the yeah. more rich of a life that you have and the more able you're help and to be in service to others as well yeah well and something that I know about you as as your friend you have incredible 360 degree awareness and you know this is this is what animals have this is what athletes have probably from having three little siblings, you know, you developed it to know where they were at all times, but, but you've kept it all of your life. You know, some people lose that animalistic awareness as they grow up or intuition, whatever you want to call it. And 
you've cultivated. Um, you've cultivated it. Did you mean to, or you just decided like, it's so close to who I am. How could I ever be without it? I mean, have you, have you actually worked on your animalistic 360 degree awareness intuition? Every day, all the time, from the time I was small. <laughs> I, I, I know this because I am addicted to nature. Yeah, yeah. I hear, I hear things, I see things, I'm feral. I don't know how I got to be. I'll be honest. I mean, I feel like part of my life is this rich, sophisticated, rich in, yeah. in knowledge and experience, yeah. not rich in money, but educated. Simple, sophisticated, simple woman over on one side. And on the other side, I'm some sort of creature that senses things and knows things and can see things. And I don't know where or how, but I am sure that being in nature yeah. and observing and listening uh, has a lot to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Far away. I am one of those people who needs to sleep with the windows open. I need to sleep outside. I need to walk around at night. Yeah. I need to not have um, mechanical human worldly noise yeah. I mean I yeah. think of all the things that I've done even when I lived in Los Angeles at USC or UC Santa Barbara or all the places that I have lived I've always had to live up out and on the edge very close to where nature and I interact where there's always. real quiet yeah so I love what you just said about being feral. Yes, you're highly educated and you've made lots of money and you're the American dream incarnate, but you are also really, really feral. And I mentor a lot of young women, as you did, right? As you do. You still today, you have interns all the time coming in and out of the farm and you've got a young daughter. I guess she's not that young anymore. But anyway... Um, it's like, can you teach a salesperson how to sell? Can you teach a person how to be feral? So <laughs> how, do we, how do we invigorate um, connection to nature, in, especially in our city folk, right? In, in the rat race running folk. How do we, you know, we live in very natural places. You especially, I live in Summerlin, California. Um, but how do we... How do we inspire connection to nature for people that didn't grow up the way you and I did? I mean, I grew up literally taking baggies of nuts and hiding them in trees and pretending I was a squirrel, right? Like, <laughs> we were a little wild. So what do we, how do we do that for the 20-somethings and 30-somethings that are starting families and are totally freaked out and busy and over-scheduled? Over the most important way is through food. I mean, that, that's where people really connect. I mean, yeah. food comes from land. Yeah. Land comes from soil, soil yeah. comes from earth. Earth is a whole throbbing, living organism. So I think that food has always been the portal in which to get people to nature, whether it's a school garden or a community garden or right. a trip to a farm yeah. or even just that little bit of experience, like where do my eggs come from? Mostly people, and I can say this generally, people live in fear about many things in their lives. And one of the things that people live in fear a lot about is not wanting to know because there's so many stimuli coming at them in all yeah. ways. So they know they need to eat, they're hungry, they go to the store, they buy food. But there's always an opportunity anymore to have an experience like, oh, look at there's a sign that says these apples came from, you know, Smith Road in your neighborhood yeah. or this 
or come and see our neighbor who's growing chickens for real orange yolk eggs. Yeah. So I think food is the first way. And to get people engaged to do something at their home or community, or if they live in an apartment or where they don't have access to it, there's many places around them, whether it's a botanic garden or a park, where they can have nature interaction. But I think the way in is through food. Yeah, that is excellent, Lorianne. That is a great, great point. So for the way that you have designed and developed and crafted your life, highly intuitive, highly um, custom and curated to your personality, how do you think your way of being has um, impacted your two children? You have, a, you have a boy and a girl who are now adults, off with jobs, and they, in their own way, are highly intuitive, but they've taken it into themselves, right? They do it in a different way than you do it. So how would you say your mothering and leadership impacted them? Uh, in a very, I, it impacted them in a very positive way. And I taught myself, went and learned how to be a good and excellent parent because I watched both of my parents, bless them, bless my father who's deceased, bless my mother who's old and in fear. Um, they both grew up with an awful set of experiences yeah. and so did their parents and so much fear and religion and oppression and and all of the things that are not good. And so you learn that. Yeah. And so I got to observe what my parents did and didn't do. And I got to choose as an adult what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be. And it was often met, especially by my mother, with not great support because, you know, be like this because that's how I was and it worked for me. And it's like, well, it really didn't work for you. So. <laughs> my father got it, especially in his older age. He understood. He was an only child. My mother was the oldest of five. Very different upbringings. So as a, a parent and for a lot of my parenting experience, a single parent, I was strict, but I was loving and kind, and everything was about education, learning, learning, learning. If the yeah. kids wanted money or something to do, they had to learn how to run a spreadsheet. If they wanted to buy something, like, I don't know if you remember this, when the kids got into yo-yoing, and then they wanted to buy $400 I remember. And of course they did, and Caroline made an incredible business in sixth she grade did. out of buying and selling yo-yos so she could go to nationals and win. Yep, and so, I loved it. But they learned, it was sort of like, okay, here's the deal, here's QuickBooks, here's yep. how you run a spreadsheet. Everything was an experience, because I went, wow, look at all the things they're not teaching them in school. Yeah. Like how to run a checkbook, how yeah. to do, you know, conflict management, how to learn about money, how to learn about financing. So I felt like it was my responsibility as a parent to learn those things and to experientially teach them and have them learn and do it. Yeah, excellent. I think, I think that's, it's a huge responsibility for a parent. Parents need to get help, they need support. Not all parents have the time. I mean, yeah. I joke around that I pulled an all-nighter once a week for 20 years, and I did. I mean, the only way to run a successful business and have a home and a farm and two incredible children who were dynamic was to sacrifice a little bit of myself and I did 20 years I pulled an yeah. all-nighter once a week uh, there yeah. was no way to keep up they were I'm, they're I'm a year and a half apart right uh, they're only or two years apart 16 months apart S that's crazy <laughs> how you're still alive <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay, so, you know, I would like to talk for a minute about, we, we, you mentioned the word fear, and there's so much media running around that's like, don't talk about anything negative or scary, don't scare the population, and, you know, as women, and as moms, and as business owners, and as friends, you can't it, you can't avoid the scary stuff. If you avoid the scary stuff, it's you're not actually getting the whole experience of life. So I was wondering if you could share with the audience, um, men and women alike, because men deal with fear very differently than women. What do you do when you feel afraid? What do you do when you're scared? You check in, you check in and you ask yourself, wow, why am I so afraid? This is a learned behavior. It is not taught to us. And you have to search it out. You have to want to look at a belief system or read some psychology or find an indigenous shaman or happen to come upon a book or go to a workshop or something. But you have to be a warrior, a healer, a visionary, and a teacher, as Angelus Arian would say, to be a balanced divine masculine, divine feminine person. You have to have both those things inside of you. Yeah. You have to ask why you're afraid. You can't not ask questions about your feelings. You have to check in and say, is this real? Is this valid? Is it serving me? Is it for the highest good? Is it for the best for me and those around me? Yeah. And I think that we get so conditioned to be afraid um, a small thing. Oh, I don't want because that's going to hurt their feelings. God, I'm really afraid. I probably shouldn't do that because that's going to hurt their feelings. It's like, wow, no, look at all that stuff you just put on yourself on the other person and check in with that like why are you afraid I think that people learn fear as a behavior um, and they most people have to unlearn fear as yeah well and what I'm seeing in today's you know day and age people talk about consciousness they talk about spirituality but when you really listen to people's rhetoric we still have oh my god I'm I'm terrified of the mob the mob could come and get me. You know, just that that village mentality where it's better to stay quiet than actually speak up. And I see beacons of light around the world just deciding, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to speak up anyway, and I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And if they come and take me away, so be it. See you later. <laughs> so, you know, it's something I've always respected about you because you've you've stood in the fire. You know, you've decided... I'm, I'm going to speak the truth right now, and everybody's going to feel uncomfortable, and in five days, they're all going to thank me. <laughs> and that's who you are. The first few times you do it, I, I've learned, you know, as a younger woman, I was probably way too passionate, way too powerful. I probably came across as negative, even though I wasn't. It was just like, hey, look at the bigger picture. Look at this. We're doing this, this, and it's not working. So we can't have the same behaviors and expect a different result. We're going to have to change our behaviors and and try this new result and see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. So I've learned that you have to be gracious and you have to be a little more patient. And you have to be a little quieter, even though I'm not necessarily. <laughs> we'll say, no, that's not going to work. But I have a solution and I'd like to try this. Yeah. So you have to have buy-in from people. You've got to let them see, try to make them see, offer them to see that they can possibly feel comfortable with something different um yeah yeah be gracious be kind smile tell the truth 
voice. In your voice, don't hold back. <laughs> That's for real. If you don't agree, you have to say, I don't agree. Yeah. And let me tell you why. That okay. doesn't mean that your opinion is wrong. We're going to agree to disagree. But let me tell you why I have a different thought about this and a different set of experiences. And just please try to see it from my point of view. I'm listening. I'm listening to your point of view. Yeah. Um, we all need to be better warriors that sit in negotiation rather than be warriors that fight. Yeah. Listen and observe. So in this crazy, crazy time in our country, politically, environmentally, material resource-wise, socially, refugees, religious issues, I mean, what would you offer to the audience today as a call to action? What, what could they, what can they walk away with? What homework do you have for them? Mm. A couple things. Okay. I'm always big on homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's expansive. <laughs> know where all your resources come from. That's probably the most important thing. So you turn on your tap, but where does your water really come from? Yeah. Is it? Do you really know? I mean, where does your food come from? Do you really know? Where does your garbage go? Are you recycling? Are you trying to be as conscious as you can every day in your life? If we all took a little bit of time with that, it would have a huge difference in reflection. Yeah. I think that we think all of this technology and all the ease of transportation and all of that is a good thing, but I think we all need to reassess and reimagine what it might be like to live without less technology and to be more self-sufficient within ourselves. Yeah. And more importantly, I think you need to get involved in your own community politics. Things change at a grassroots level over and over and over again. And if you don't know your mayor or your city council members or you don't know your, you know, House of Representatives or your state liaison or whomever it is, and there's an issue, you need to know their phone number. You need to know their email. You need to be able to write them a letter. Yeah. For 30 plus years now, I spend an hour a week writing letters for every kind of cause and joining in because we are individual voices, yeah. but it's collective voices that make a change. If you don't like the fact that, you know, the petroleum truck is on a barge that could rupture in our incredible sensitive Salish Sea sound, then talk to your fellow neighbors and community about it and see what you can do. And eventually everything changes for the better. I mean, I live in a community that's very political, very powerful, 17,000 people in a group of islands, and we make a difference because we believe in supporting nature and creating livelihoods here, and yeah. it's a very powerful thing. I would say that most people in Santa Barbara have no clue who runs their show, so That's to speak. right. I agree. I agree. That's very, very powerful advice. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to say before we close up for today? Come and enjoy the farm. <laughs> come visit the farm. Come, farm. come to any. Come to my farm. Go to any farm. This month, in the next 30 days, go to a farm. I don't care where it is. Go to a farm and understand what farmers do because if it wasn't for farmers, you wouldn't eat. Ho to that. Well, thank you very much, Lorianne David. Special thanks to the Sandbox of Santa Barbara for having us here today to film and to Oniracom for their production, creative support, marketing, and distribution expertise. Thank you also today for our sponsor, founder of The Honest Bison, Sean Lenahan. He's an incredible meat purveyor and sustainable grazing advocate. 
You can see more information about him in the credits and the company Honest Bison. Bye for now. This is Megan Joy Haverda, your host of One Hour of Sunshine. See you soon. Bye for now. YouTube channel, please click here. If you are ready to watch the latest episode, click here. Go ahead, I'm waiting.